This issue starts with a five-page story in which our narrator, Sphinx, Sphinx, Sphinxor, Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Alice Dano, and we have returning back, John. Hello! It's been so long since I was on the show last. I feel like it's been 80 years. John's back, people, which means, yes, we are talking about a Warlock book. And not just any Warlock book. The Warlock book. Yeah, this is the beginning of what people usually think of as the Warlock run that is really seminal and important to read. Yeah. Although, as we both found out, we did enjoy the previous stuff more than we thought we would. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because I met Adam Warlock through Infinity War. And you have Adam Warlock and you have the Magus in that story. And you get, I think in issue two or three, a brief recap of like the basicest of basics of this story. And you see Warlock in this costume that he's in this. And it always fascinated me. And in 1991, the idea of being able to read that was, was completely alien. Like I, I didn't know how I'd possibly ever be able to read it. And then as back issues became more and more common and easily accessible, um, I read the Starlin run first. Cause everybody's like, that's the stuff. That's the Warlock. And it was good. It, it's the Starlin run. It's really, really good. But then I went back and read the run that we have talked about here to four and read this again. And this first issue especially took on a whole new light, which we'll talk about in this episode. Well, I would hope so. Otherwise, we're wasting our time here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I found him the same way as uh, Infinity Gauntlet. And, but they came out that time with the six-issue like Baxter paper format. Warlock miniseries, which reprinted all of the Starlin stuff. But it reprinted in a weird way. They had 48 pages, and they cut it off at 48 pages. So if 48 pages ended at the end of an issue, great. If it ended at page 4, that's where it ended. Yeah, I, I, I've seen notes about that. I, I remember looking up to see where it would have ended. Cause, and also in this era, you're dealing with comic stories that are shortened. Yeah. This is that year in the 1970s. I think Marvel stories were 17 pages uh, in a 32-page 30, comic. Yeah, something like that. One is uh, 19 pages. But then again, we also have one, two, three, four, a five-page like framing story or a flashback story. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the flashback here isn't even a flashback. It's more or less its own story. Right, it's like a recap. It, it's not even integrated well. <laughs> well it's, it's a recap of everything going on. So we have one splash page, four pages of recap, and then 15 pages of story. Exactly. So before we get to that, let's going to pause here, and I'll put the synopsis in, and that way people know what the hell we're talking about. 
and then we'll talk about what the hell we're talking about. Strange Tales number 178. Written, penciled, inked, and colored by Jim Starlin. Letter by Annette Kowicki. Edited by Len Wein. Cover art by Jim Starlin. Cover dated February 1975. Original sale date November 26th, 1974. Cover price 25 cents. Chapter 1. Who is Adam Warlock? Since Adam has not had his own series for a while, this issue starts with a five-page story in which our narrator, Sphinxor, from the star system Pegasus, goes over Adam's history. Since we have been covering that on the show for the past few years, we shouldn't need to recap it here. But if you want, Sphinxor is recapping issues that we covered in episodes 1, 2, 5, 6, 8 to 11, 19, 21, 22, 25, 27, 29, 53, 54, and 56. Chapter 2. Enter the Magus. On a barren planetoid, a young woman is being chased. Her three pursuers are close behind her, but then she runs into the one she has been searching for, Adam Warlock. Adam tries to find out what is going on, but the Grand Inquisitors of the Universal Church of Truth have no time for him and attempt to kill the woman. Adam places her under his protection and is able to take out two of the Inquisitors, but not before the third shoots her dead. Adam is incensed, but the killers are able to teleport away. Desperate to find out why she was searching for him, and killed, Adam uses his soul gem to return her soul to her body to answer his questions. She tells him about the Universal Church of Truth, formed 5,000 years ago when the Magus showed up and set himself up as a god. The teachings of the Magus are admirable, but only apply to other church members. All others must either convert or be destroyed. And the church has been moving from planet to planet, either gaining members or leaving none alive who aren't. Adam starts to ask her about the Magus, but she is interrupted by another, the Magus himself. The Magus uses his power to throw Adam into another dimension where he is attacked by strange yet familiar demons. He escapes them, but the Magus allows Adam to then see his secrets, and Adam sees the truth. Those demons were his own inner demons, and Magus is another word for magician, or warlock. The Magus is Adam Warlock. With this revelation, the Magus kicks Adam back into reality, where he knows he must not only stop the Magus, but find out how his soul has been split into two, with one half running amok. And if you're unable to find this issue, and read it originally, you can find it reprinted a bunch of places. It's reprinted in Fantasy Masterpieces, the 1979 series, number 8, there is the Warlock Special Edition, number one, which came out in 82. There is the Warlock miniseries that came, came out in 92, issue one. There is Playbook, issue 31, which is a 90s Italian reprint book. There is the Marvel Masterworks Warlock Hardcover, volume two. The Essential Warlock, trade paperback, volume one. Warlock by Jim Starlin, trade paperback. And that German one again. Die Official Marvel Comic Samlung, Hardcover, Volume 32, and digitally on Comixology and Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. So which is the hottest Marvel character? Iron Man. Ant-Man. I can't decide between Professor X and Magneto, so both. Loki. Is Wolverine Marvel? What about uh, White Tiger? What about uh, White Tiger? <laughs> Doc Samson. Who's Doc who? Uh, huh? Star Fox. That's a video game. <laughs>
The girls go on a journey to determine every Marvel character's hotness in Ohatmu or Not, the official handbook of the Marvel Universe podcast you didn't know you wanted. Available on iTunes and at fireandwaterpodcast.com. And we're back. So I wanted to throw in a little bit about this title. And since, since Warlock is now his, his own book, but it's not Adam Warlock, I thought I'd mention a little bit about Strange Tales and some stuff, if that's okay with you. No, I didn't think about that. That's cool. Go ahead. <clears throat> okay. So this issue is technically, according to the Indicia, this is called Strange Tales and Warlock, issue 178. Now, if you're not familiar with, with old school Marvel, you might not know, but of course you probably are familiar, so I might just be telling you what you already know. But Strange Tales is one of those issues, one of those series that dates all the way back to like the early 50s, whenever Marvel was running a whole bunch of sci-fi and horror and monster stories, just anthology comics, crunching them out during the 1950s where people working on comics got really tired of the same old, same old all the time. And whenever Marvel started bringing back their superheroes in 1961 and 62 and 63, one of their main venues of doing so was to turn their anthology books into superhero comics. And so Journey into Mystery started running Thor Tales to Astonish started running Ant-Man. And Strange Tales started running a somewhat infamous now Human <laughs> Torch series. You can hear detailed cringing over this over at the Fantastic Cast. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually Strange Tales, the backups, which were still monster stories, were replaced by Doctor Strange. And in issue 135, Human Torch was replaced Hooray! Uh-huh. By Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And so this book kept on going up until, I want to say, issue 167 or 68. I think 168. Okay. I think. And then it ended. Strange Tales ended and became Doctor Strange. Around that time, Marvel uh, had a change in their shipping policies, and they were able to start shipping more books. So Tales of Suspense 99 was followed up by Captain America 100 and Iron Man number one. Um, Tales to Astonish 101 was followed up by The Incredible Hulk 102 and Namor the Submariner number one. And Strange Tales was followed up, uh, 168 was followed up by Doctor Strange 169 and Nick Fury Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. issue one. So... Doctor Strange kept the numbering and kept on going, and eventually was canceled. Yeah, not too long later. It was like I think it was like one seventy four, one seventy five. Right. It didn't last very long. It did not last very long. So fast forward a handful of years, five or six years. I forget exactly what year we're in right now because that was nineteen sixty eight that all those changes were happening, and we are now in nineteen seventy five. Uh, okay. Hold on. So um, now this story we're talking about is the one we're talking about specifically is. Hold on, I have my phone here. It's cover dated February 75. Okay, so February 75, right at the end of 74. So it was produced during 1974. Uh, so half a dozen years later. But the Brother Voodoo story, where which is issue 169, is uh, September 73. Gotcha, that's right. Because this series came back as Brother Voodoo for a while. And they picked up the same numbering. It's always bothered me. Because I like the idea of resuming old numbering. Yeah. Except that they already use these numbers. Yeah, if they like, went on with, doc, with number 176 or 177, wherever Doctor Strange ended, that would make sense. That would make so much more sense. Yeah. 
But no. So there are two 169s of Strange Tales. One is called Strange Tales, and one is called Doctor Strange. And um, Strange Tales was Brother Voodoo for a few issues. It ran this horror story called Golem for a while. There was a filler issue, and eventually Golem went away. And now we have the book taken over by Adam Warlock. Of course, this is Jim Starlin. He's just finished his run on Captain Marvel, and he's taken some of the ideas he brought about in Captain Marvel – and he's going to work them into this other storyline a little bit down the road. Because first he needs to take his transmogrifier and totally revamp the concept of Adam Warlock. Yes. Yeah. And actually, speaking of the title itself, this is only going to last with Adam Warlock, as Adam Warlock is the lead for four issues. Because mm-hmm. he's going to be here till 181, and then he's going to be back in his own book, Warlock. And that, that's going to pick up its old numbering with number nine. And Doctor Strange is going to be back here in Strange Tales with 182. Oh dear! <laughs> but it only okay. but it only lasts till 188. So don't worry, <laughs> you don't have to worry about that so, for long. Adam Warlock is all about resuming people's numberings because he he he, he t- you know Strange Tales retakes Doctor Strange's numbering and then he takes up his own numbering again with number nine. <laughs> Anyways, and Doctor Strange is all about. Thank you. I got it. We're going to keep this going for... All right, time to go home. Yep. It's like, oh, poor Doc. Poor Doctor Strange. Will he... he can't quite keep it going. Will he ever win? Um, he won in Thor Ragnarok. That was a really cool part of that movie. I still have to see that. He won in Doctor Strange. That was a really cool movie. Well, I assume Doctor Strange didn't get killed in <laughs> Thor Ragnarok, so I'm good. And I knew he was going to be in it. I saw Thor. I mean, I saw Doctor Strange. I saw the pre- thing at the end. I knew he was going to be in it. Yeah, because he, he's with Thor at the end of Doctor Strange, right? Yeah. So okay, so yeah, it, it's that it's that scene. Yeah, so I knew he was going to be there, and I didn't see him in any commercials, so I knew anything he had had to be still a small role, good, important but small. But um, oh, Doctor Strange, that was a good movie. I like that. So shall we dig into this issue? Yes, we shall. So we're like we said, we're on Strange Tales number one seventy eight, featuring Warlock. The man who stalked the stars, which is funny actually, they use that because doesn't he fight the star star the star stalker in a couple of years? Yes, <laughs> it also makes him sounds kind of creepy, like like he's like creeping up on those stars and like watching them while they're eating with their family and stuff through the window. <laughs> he's in there with popcorn, hanging out, you know, hanging out behind a moon. That's probably exactly what he was doing before the girl lands on his asteroid. I'm totally picturing him now as George McFly from the first Back to the Future movie. He's in the tree. <laughs> He's in the tree, but he had these big shoulders swoops from his red costume, and they keep getting caught on leaves and branches. And when he falls, it's not on Marty. It's fall- he falls in that girl. <laughs> right. And um, the cover has the girl we're speaking of um, doing some space ballet. And on the other side, we have this weird, haunty, ghosty face. Looks like, well, there's cloudy stuff around him, which later we'll find out is just his giant afro. Yeah, but because she has that cloudy stuff around her, too. So just looking at it first, you just assume it's cloudy stuff around his head. Yeah, it's kind of Kirby, Kirby Crackleish. Actually, this cover is all about some Kirby Crackle. Oh, completely. A nice and Doctor Strange windows. Look at that. Those planets are Doctor Strange windows. Yeah. You know, we, we and Brian have talked a lot about Kirby. Kirby, yeah, Kirby. <laughs> Who the hell's Kirby? 
Kurt, he's that little pink. He's that pink ball shaped guy you run around in the game. Oh yeah, eats everything. <laughs> but we and Brian have talked about the Kirby influence on Starlet. But look, I keep forgetting about it. Yeah, when I look at his space scenes, there's obviously a huge Dicko influence as well. Mm-hmm. When he does that cosmic stuff. Yeah, he grew up on stuff, and now he's using it because his his universe, like Dicko's and stuff, is filled with like you know, there's moons and planets and stars within like touch, you know. You can just bounce off each other, bounce them off. There's no like five, you know, five years of traveling to get to something. Right. They're all right here. Just jump, just hop to the next planet. And he is the writer, artist, and colorist on this. This is all his baby. Yeah. Which means that whenever he is um, doing drugs later in the run, the book is late. Yes. <laughs> and this is a step up for him because even with the uh, the Thanos War stuff in Captain Marvel, he was doing most. But not all. Usually he was like plot, art, and color. A lot of times he was letting other people script for him. Mm. But with the Warlock stuff, he probably just... I guess he's finally feeling confident enough, he just takes over everything. Or Marvel's feeling confident enough in his storytelling. <laughs> or Marvel has enough books that they need to get them all out there. Just like, just it will be here? Great, just do it. I don't care. Right. So we open up with Warlock floating in space for a splash page, and the title, Who is Adam Warlock? You don't realize it at first, but Who is Adam Warlock is actually a speech bubble for this little space dude with some space monsters in the teeny tiny bottom corner asking, Who is Adam Warlock? And the space monsters are his chairs. <laughs> right, he's like sitting on them, and they're like, Uh, dude, <laughs> can you, do, you, do your dad sit there? Yeah, the one, the one on the right does not look very happy about it. He's reaching his tentacle up to swat the guy. So, we talked about how the beginning was just a big flashback. It's narrated by this random space guy that we will... I don't know if we ever see him again after these four or five pages. Oh, I looked it up. And Will. Okay, good. But he says, Uncle Stan has asked me to fill you in on Adam Warlock's backstory. And I'm just like, aw, Stan Lee. It's a little nod to him there. Uncle Stan's asked me to fill you in, so hang on and take notes. We got a lot to cover. Yeah, uh, real quick, because actually, I don't think you're going to really have anything to do with him ever again. This is, uh, what's his name? Sphinx War. He does have a couple more appearances. He'll, he won't be back again until the end of the Warlock story in the 70s. He shows up in uh, the one of the issues of Marvel Team-Up. Sorry, Marvel 2-in-1, featuring Adam Warlock, which is very late in the Adam Warlock run, as in okay. very late in that original run. And then he appears in an issue of Hulk, along with Starhawk. So it's like a weird mix. And Moondragon. And her. Wow. Yeah. So Starhawk from the Guardians? Yep. And Moondragon and her are all in an issue of... Hulk. Hulk. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, it says, and the High Evolutionary. What, is that 90s? This nope. gotta be 90s. It has, 81. Is it 81 and it has her in it? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then his next appearance is pretty much a flashback. It's Avengers Annual 17, which is the Evolutionary War Annual. So I'm assuming that means he's in that backup story that appeared oh, in there. as part of the recap of a story as a high evolutionary has been in. Exactly. Gotcha. And, and then finally, his last appearance is Warlock and the Infinity Watch number four. Oh. I read a little bit of that series back when the whole Infinity stuff was all the rage in the 90s, but I don't remember any of it. I it's been a long time since I reread it, but I did read the vast majority of it. I think I was missing like, I think I read like thirty something, and then I picked up like the last issue. So I'm missing like which is forty two, so I'm missing like five or six. 
Well, you know, maybe we'll get there in three years. Eventually. Eventually. But yeah, so Sinksford appears again, so he will be back at some point. But right now he's just a narrator. He basically recaps, and we get a pretty cool recap of the events of Fantastic Four 66 and 67, which is, you know, the beginning of the concept of Adam Warlock. Yeah, the scientists in the beehive make up the cocoon. You know, they create them, Adam comes out, realizes they're jerks, blows them up, and leaves. Right. And he moves on to the Thor scene, and that stupid story is um, only given one panel, deservedly so. Yeah. It's basically where Adam learns, you know, uh, yeah, no means no jerk. Does he really learn it, though, or does he just accede to their wishes? I don't know. He's not a, he's not the best character in that. And really, he's not even a character. He's just a random space monster that Marvel has created that Thor is fighting. Yeah, at that point, basically, yeah. He's just there. He's just, like, all ego. Or id. I'm not sure which it is. But he's just like, I want something. I take it. But I love the um, comment from Sphinxor. At this point, our hero, who was not only as him back then, decided it was time to return to his cocoon and meditate upon his, up to now, useless existence. It's just like, yes. I mean, people nowadays look back at the pre-Starlin as useless existence for Adam Warlock, but probably Jim Starlin was looking back at everything before Marvel premiere number one as useless existence for Adam Warlock. Yeah, his whole Silver Age appearances. Right. Because really... None yeah, of that matters. Yeah, I mean, all he did in Fantastic Four was just be there and blow, blow crap up. Mm-hmm. And in Thor, he was, like you said, he was just space monster to fight. He could, and then, could have been a dragon for all, you know, all he mattered. Right. And then Marvel gives him a purpose with the High Evolutionary. With the High Evolutionary making his own planet. And the whole thing with the Man Beast. And, yes. And amazing how it worked out that not that history turned out exactly the same. On Counter-Earth. Yeah. I mean, it always made me wonder then, if the Man Beast didn't interfere, would history then have been completely radically different? Because obviously... It wouldn't be wars or conquering or crap like that. Yeah, that was the goal the High Evolutionary set forth, is he wanted to have a new Earth that was free from all of the corruption of the old Earth. So theoretically, all you know, you have this vertical panel of Hitler, and um, I'm guessing that's Stalin, and that might be, I, was, I don't know who the potato face guy is supposed to be. I, for some reason, I want to say someone like Nero. Okay. Or maybe Caesar, okay, yeah. somebody Roman. And you have Jesus on a cross, you have a swastika, you have a bomb with a star on it, you have a braceleted arm holding a sword, a field of skulls in flames. So yeah, this is all of the bad stuff about life. Poor Jesus. Dad, what do you mean? I just did that. I did that. I gotta do it again? I gotta do it again. Seriously. It makes me wonder, okay. Dad, you're a jerk. Since Starlin is going to take this metaphor in a very different direction in this issue, it makes me wonder if the crucifixion is the bad thing, or if the entire concept of Jesus is the bad thing. Yeah, because he... I wonder which one Starlin is trying to say. That's true, because he does include it in there with things that are bad. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, is it the act of what they're doing to him is bad, <clears throat> or the entire representation? Religious concept. Although... I mean, I'm, now consider where he's going, it's a very good question, but then again, if he was going with that entire just concept, he might have just used a crucifix 
not an actual crucifixion. Well, the crucifix, I mean... Because the crucifix is the, the crucifix. symbol of the, of the organization. The crucifix, crucifixion might just be the act itself. It could be just the act itself. Yeah. So it's hard to say. It could be read either way. And I'm not trying to make a point that it should be read either way. Just wondering what Starlin meant when he put it there. Yeah. And we go very uh, light speed through the stories of Adam Warlock. And he puts an interesting spin on things. People kept dying on Adam Warlock until eventually Adam himself couldn't take it anymore and died as well. He fell victim to the force he opposed. And I only remember a couple of deaths from that story. I don't remember the deaths of people weighing on him so much in that story. Well, the death of Ed, oh, the death of Eddie and Doctor and uh, Professor Doom definitely did weigh on him. Okay. Remember when Eddie died in four? He went into the cocoon and was gone for like a few months. You know, between four and five. Oh, that's right. And also, Triax had died too in that fight. So, if you think about the time period, though, he had eight issues, well, ten issues. Let's count up to Marvel Premiere, and he had mm-hmm. three deaths. One of one of his villains, and one of one of the, of the major supporting characters. You didn't really have that many, that close. I mean, you had more of that happening in the Bronze Age when he was in than the Silver Age. But, you know, you didn't have that many that close. I mean, like, look at Spider-Man. Captain Spacey dies in, like, issue, was it 90? And you still have, like, another 20 issues or 30 issues before anything else that bad happens again. And then nothing like that happens again for a super long time. So, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're seeing. But I see what you're he making. had, like, a whole bunch in just crunched in together. So maybe, I guess maybe Starman was looking at it going... Okay, okay, oh, crap, someone died. Oh, crap, someone died. Oh, he died too? Okay. <laughs> I could use this. Everybody's dying. I could work with this. You know, kind of like Peter David looking back at Old Hulk and going, well, he was gray, then he's green. I could use that. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and we, have, we have the scenes from the Hulk issues with him dying and coming back and looking very zombie-like when he comes back. Yeah, it's probably supposed to be, like, imbued with power, but yeah, he does look zombie. I think with his wrists down like that, his hands sort of dangling there, it looks a bit off. I'm waiting for the brains panel. That's how he defeated the Man Beast. He just ate his brains. Right. (laughs) And the Man Beast would never show up again. Yay! Now he will. (laughs) But yeah, it turns Man Beast back back to a wolf, says goodbye to everybody, it says, okay, I'm out. And, and that's how we get reminded of the soul gem. Using the power of his soul gem, he reverted all the new men back to their original animal states. Counter-Earth was at last saved from the beast within. So using his soul gem, mm-hmm. he could revert people's states. We're going to get a lot more into the soul gem in this run. So this is where he brings it to mind. And I also want to start paying attention now and see if the soul gem is ever used for a purpose like that again. Doing something physical to somebody where he like changes their form, for instance. Mm-hmm. Reverts it. Or is that now... Because now this is when the Soul Gem starts turning into what we think of as the Soul Gem. It's still not there. Because they're all just called Soul Gems. But it's starting to become what we know of modern in modern times as you know one of the Infinity Gems. So I'm just wondering right. if now that... We're, at Starlin's now clarifying this, will that use be available again anymore? Or is that kind of like, yeah, he did that, but we're going to not do that anymore. And that basically wraps up the recap. He goes off into space. He does not want to stay there and take care of his people. 
um, his job was done, and he flies away into space. We get a little box mentioning what all the issues were that you can read this about, read about this in, and we, we've covered all of them. Yep. But at that point, Sphinxor's narration ends, and there is no segue into the beginning of the, of the actual story. Page 10 just has the time, the present. Frantic feet silently speed across a barren planetoid surface. And I love this opening sequence because it feels very cinematic, um, almost like a cartoon, actually. I want to see this animated where, like, you have the camera there and the feet run across as, as the, the image in the background is static and then another monster runs across out, or the two, three monsters. Yeah, there's three of them chasing her. And the funny thing is, and this is something Starlin's done a couple times too, is that you could read those panels in two different ways. Okay. Because you can read them across, you know, one the panel, the, the top row, and then the next row. You know, like you said, the time, the present. You see her in the distance. She's closer. Panic and terror. The hunted. And then underneath, you see you have the three panels of them running after her in the same place, basically, mm-hmm. where she's running. But the place, an uncharted satellite in the star cluster Hercules. Grimly, a cosmic tragedy nears its climax. Determination and confidence. The hunters. Or, read that first panel, then the one below it, then the next top one and the one below it, and then that final one, the one below it. In each one, they're both in the same place, like showing them at the same place where the other one had been before, and the caption boxes kind of, like the first one's time and then the place, and then the second caption boxes are their moods, and then the final one tells you who they are. That is pretty cool. I hadn't really thought about it that way. I mean, it's a little more clunky way to read it because you wouldn't think of it, but there's been a couple times in like the Captain Marvel one where we noticed the way he positioned these things. You could look at it the other way as well, and it still tells the story in the same order. You know, you're not losing anything. He's playing with the form a little bit. It's, he's playing right. He's doing the stuff in comics you really can't do in anything else. Right. And it is cool when comics use their own medium in a way that no one else can. I mean, people like comic stories to be cinematic sometimes that's cool but i it is very cool and comics use the fact that they're comics i was reading the death of superman recently and there's the justice league issue where doomsday is fired the justice league and the whole time superman is interviewing with cat grant on her show and every page the top third of the page is a widescreen panel of superman talking to cat grant and the bottom two thirds of the uh issue are the Justice League fighting Doomsday. And it's that way through the entire book. And so you have the two things going in parallel. And at one point towards the end, the fact that they're fighting Doomsday comes through on the news and preempts Cat Grant's show, and Superman has to fly away. And that's whenever um, he joins the Justice League in the fight of Doomsday, right at the end of the issue, before it goes back to his own book. But it's just another example of comics doing stuff in a way that TV and books can't they do things that comics can't do as well but every medium yeah. should embrace what they can do their thing right which is why i was like reading novelizations of movies because you see the movie and it's good but a good novelization writer can take the stuff from the screenplay and expand upon it and do stuff with it that doesn't come across in the movie as well and yeah you can get a little bit more into internal character in that one as opposed to mm-hmm. In backstory or backlands. I remember my favorite memory of that is uh, reading the Gremlins novelization. Which oh, I never read that. It actually includes a 
basis, I, I forget exactly what it is. I think they're from space, but like an origin for Mogwai. Oh, I need to read that. I read the, the Back to the Future novelization, and that has a whole bunch of deleted scenes or at least extra scenes. The, you get li- the Libyans, our characters. You get like a couple of scenes with them before the assault on the Twin Pines Mall. And um, in Goonies, you actually see the scene with the octopus. Oh, wow. When at the end of the movie, Data says the octopus was really scary. Yeah, there was originally an octopus. And that was cut out. Yeah. Yeah, deleted scenes or, or extra stuff like that is always one of the neat things about novelizations. Of course, Star Trek, Vonda and McIntyre novelized Star Trek Two, <laughs> Star Trek Three, and Star Trek Four, And through her extra added material, you get a whole plethora of scenes and extra stuff, an extra story that builds upon stuff she had done in her own original novels before. And it really makes those a different experience. And whenever Sulu gets his command in Star Trek VI, it almost feels like the culmination of stuff that had happened in the novels of Star Trek II, III, and IV. I love novelizations. Yeah, like the Star Wars one, the first one, where it says, like, the, it says it's from the Journal of the Wills. Yeah, the Wills. And, like, that was the first place I'd ever heard of the name Senator Palpatine. Because you never hear Senator Palpatine through the entire original trilogy. And before The Phantom Menace came out, I read the Star Wars novelization that had Senator Palpatine at the beginning of the story. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have an origin for the Emperor right here. Yeah, because I, I had read that book. I remember reading that back in the 80s when I was a kid. I picked it up from the school library and read it like a bunch of times. And that whole thing about the Journal of the Will is just like... Is there going to be more from that? What is that? Is that like? Is that something like? Is this supposed to be like a myth they're telling? Like they're telling this myth of the story of Luke Skywalker, like that? Like my brain just went on nuts on just that little bit right there. And the real story is, is that it's an artifact from earlier versions of the script that actually had no meaning in what he was doing. But I like what Star Wars is doing now about taking the Force and showing that there's a whole lot more to the Force than just Jedi and Sith. What they've been doing with the Rebels and Clone Wars and Rogue One and showing that different people have different ways of accessing the Force. And I really think that's what The Last Jedi is going to bring about. Oh, yeah. The Last Jedi is going to be about, okay, the way we've been doing this whole Force thing is not right. And I like the theory that Qui-Gon Jinn referring to it as the living Force and how he's the only one that does that, that he actually has a better understanding of the Force than anyone else. And we're going to get that. That's pretty much where my brain's been going too with that. It's not going to be that Luke's going bad or there's no more Jedi. He's going to be like, okay, we've been doing it. It's almost like, it's like the Dark Crystal. Which I never saw. Oh, never mind. <laughs> I actually sat down and tried to watch it once and couldn't get into it. I need to, like, get in the mindset that I'm going to watch this movie and actually watch it. Because I tried to watch it once and just didn't. Oh, okay. Never mind. Well, I'm not going to say anything about Dark Crystal, but it's basically going to the kind of thing where it's like, um, yeah, we're using just one half of the other, and really what you need to do to do it right is use the whole force. The force is not mm-hmm. really good or bad, it just is. Right. Right. You know, stop anthropomorphizing and putting your own values on the force, damn it. <laughs> okay, uh, so speaking of Adam Warlock... Yes. Um, <laughs> what, tangents here? Never. And I actually... I was thinking about this earlier this morning or maybe last night. I was like, you know, this will be a quick and easy thing. I'm sure there's nothing we can really tangent off of in this. We'll just talk about the comics. And, of course, that tangents happen. (laughs) 
Girl is running. Girl twists her ankle and girl falls at the feet of Adam Warlock. She says she's crossed a dozen galaxies to find him because a thousand worlds are seeking his aid. She says a thousand worlds, a billion people. Remember when having a billion people in the world was considered too large? 1975. I don't know if we had yet hit one billion. Yeah, and now (laughs) it's like, so what? Like a couple people on each planet wants me? All right, I guess so. (laughs) I think a thousand galaxies, or a dozen galaxies, rather, is a bit too hyperbolic. I mean, possibly, but it seems a bit too large. But I do like the idea that Adam Warlock has become a name in the universe, kind of like Superman. And people want his help and need his help. Yeah, so the cool thing is, like, I guess he's been doing stuff since then. So there's, like, a bunch of untold Warlock tales, basically, because there has to be a reason why she's looking for him. Right. And they probably would not ever be interesting or relevant to hear about, but I like the idea that he's been championing stuff in the universe. Oh, real quick. Uh, world population, I'm looking it up on 1975. Looks like it was about f- just over 4 billion. Okay. I think we hit our first billion during the 20th century, but I don't know when it was. But then that, 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 that makes her phrasing really weird. I think it's just because billion sounds like a lot. Right. Uh, we actually would have hit it around... Actually, no. There's, the estimate is in uh, 1804, early 1800s. We hit our first billion in 1804? Yeah. I mean, I hope the information is right for this thing. I just looked up real quick. It's worldometers.info, world population mm-hmm. by year. And going back okay. to this, they're showing like 19... What is it? 1951, we already at... Yeah, 2.5 billion. Okay. And in 1900, we were like 1,600,000 million. So estimating, because obviously it wasn't as easy to... Further back you go, the harder it is to tell. Yeah, I just um, did another search, and yeah, 1804, it took all of human history up to 1804 to get 1 billion. And then a little over 100 years later, 2 billion, 1927. 30 years later, 3 billion, 1959. 15 years later, 4 billion. Five billion in ten years, six billion in ten years, and we're at seven billion now. Mm-hmm. So sh- the I was reading this and I saw that this is called Enter the Magus, Chapter Two, and I almost I almost feel like those opening five pages were like added on, and that this little Chapter Two emblem was also added on. Yeah, and it's, it's that's weird though because it's like it's one thing they said Chapter Two. Enter the Magus. It's like, okay, chapter one was the Warlock, who was Warlock, chapter two is Enter the Magus. But this makes it look like it's Enter the Magus, chapter two, and I'm like, did I miss an issue? <laughs> they square off with Adam Warlock, all the hunters, they want the girl. Yeah, Mysterio and his two friends. Myster- alien Mysterio. He looks like an alien, especially that first, the splash page, he kind of looks like Mysterio there. Well, Quentin Beck is just wearing his alien makeup oh, that's from true. Amazing Spider-Man issue two. And then he has the, the bulb over that. That's all that is. And she has a lot of stitching on that spacesuit. Yeah, somewhat awkwardly so. Uh, I wasn't getting into that part. I was just saying there's a lot of stitching all over on that one. It's like it's homemade. Yeah. But it, it, it makes sense to have, you know, the seams. That's actually a very 70s um, concept of spacesuits. I like the idea of the spacesuits. They could have just been a little bit less detailed in certain areas. We're not going to go the, over that. Well, lost over that part. <laughs> Universal Church of Truth has found her soul unsalvageable. It's the job of, okay, it's the job of us, Grand Inquisitors, 
to end this heathen's lifespan. I'm going to fix your English grammar there, alien man. Um, <laughs> so we get our first oh. indicators of what's going to be going on in this new world with the Universal Church of Truth and the Grand Inquisitors, which is a very Earth history religious language. Oh, yeah, this is very much like a, a space version of the uh, Inquisition. Right. That medieval sense of Christianity is is definitely going to be coming into full force here pretty soon. Yeah, if you are not part of us, then you then you are against us. Mm-hmm. In fact, isn't the name Borgia? Isn't no, no, that's a Star Trek reference. Never mind. So they start fighting, and you know, I too refer to rock lights as temporal punishers. <laughs> you rock lights are not called temporal punishers for nothing. Yes, that's how I refer to them. And I want to think of that in the sense of temporal as in this worldly, so more religious language. Uh, I'm the punishment um, in this world, and then I'm going to send you to face your punishment in the next. Right. I was always, I kept looking at that going, what the hell? So that makes it works. Yeah, temporal often means like, you know, time travel or something. But I think in this sense, it's like this worldly, well, as opposed to otherworldly. Oh, and speaking of what you said about the name, I mean, it could be a Star Trek reference. I mean, Star, this is 1974. Starlin is doing big cosmic space stuff. Are you going to tell me that Star Trek was not something he watched and not an influence on him, probably? I feel like Borgia is a name um, from religious history. It's, it actually is, yeah. It's a Italo-Spanish noble family that rose to prominence during the Italian Renaissance. And there is a TV show about them. And Pope Alexander VI was from the Borgia family. So, yeah, that actually could be a religious reference. But also at the same time, in the very, 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 very first broadcast episode of Star Trek, um, Lieutenant Green dies because of the salt vampire, and she leaves a piece of Borgia plant in his mouth as, as, a, as a fake-out. And that's called a Borgia plant. And I just know that because I'm a nerd. Okay. Yeah, I was trying to look it up too, but I actually mistyped and I put a B-R and then, the, you know, instead of instead of being B-O-R-G-I-A, I accidentally hit B-R-O-R-G-I-A. And apparently and apparently that brings up a bunch of porn that I had to close the page really quick before I had problems. Oh, this podcast is about to become very different. <laughs> We're going to be competition with Eat It and Beat It. <laughs> we got to close the lights now. Get, this is, you know, Warlock After Dark. Uh, Give me a golden-skinned honey. It was the dawn of the third age of comics, 15 years after the rise of the Comics Code Authority. The Bronze Age was a dream given form. Its goal? To portray superheroes in a way that was socially relevant by tackling real-world issues. It's a catch-all, a place to explore monsters, demons, gunslingers, gods, and superheroes alike. Writers and artists wrapped in house styles of sophisticated realism, creating the stuff of legends. There is no assurance of quality, but it's our last best hope for comic books. This is a retrospective of the true golden age. The year is 1970. The name of the podcast, Uncovering the Bronze Age. Tune into our feed for regular content at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com. Also home to the Quarterbin Podcast and the Short Box Showcase. All right. Um, so, yeah, so he beats up Borgia. Okay, so he has the soul gem on him, so it does physically attack him. Right, and it doesn't say what he does, except I'm forced to use the power of the soul gem. 
And we see this big, you know, shwa-shwa. Yeah, it knocks someone out of the And that's all it says. I do like the narration on the first panel of the next page, though. Definition. Power. The ability to do or effect something or anything, or to act upon a person or thing. Oxford English Dictionary. Definition. Adam Warlock. A being of vast power. Jim's in her galactic dictionary. And it's like, you know, this is power and he is power. Yeah. He's like Magneto in that regard. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're boned. Yep. And um, suddenly the alien inquisitors realize they've been flirting with death. Flirting with death? Thanos, is that you? I know. Well, yeah, it's a theme. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves her. Inquisitors, Thanos, Deadpool. They all dig that chick. Right. They all dig her. But this is one thing I do like, though, is that a lot of times you'll get in these books where, like, they kind of forget the point. Our point is to do this object, the heroes in our way, and these guys are like, oh, wait, why are we fighting this guy? Let's just shoot her. Mm-hmm. And they do. Yeah, Mysterio turns around and is like, okay, you know what? Forget this. Do the original plan. Kill the girl. And um, they do. And Adam Warlock was so caught up in the fight that he's not able to stop them from killing the girl. Mysterio starts walking away saying, I killed a girl and I liked it. Before Adam Warlock punches him in the face. Yep. And then runs over and she's... And we got that eerie, those three panels, like with that green light. Mm-hmm. This eerie, like, post-death, like, trauma. It's kind of like the scenes on, like, a, a TV show where, like, they saw an explosion, and instead of actually ha- being able, just having everything normally and seeing the characters, you're almost experiencing the world from the character's perspective, where, like, all the sounds are really, really low, because they're... Right. Because, like, their eardrums are damaged from the blast. And that's and, what like, um, this is like. It's like, this is how Warlock is looking at everything now. Everything is, like, just out of folk is all out of whack because what happened and her lying there with her eyes open i feel like that is the kind of shot that the comics code would not have allowed you know a few years earlier by this point the comics code is loosening up on a lot of its horror standards which is why marvel is able to do a lot of horror comics they hadn't been doing before but um, a dead body with the eyes open on camera in the focus shot like that would I imagine, never have flown, say, ten years earlier. Oh, yeah. But that was also back when you had to make living vampires. You couldn't use real ones. <laughs> Morbius, you'll never be able to shake that, will you? Nope, he's the living vampire. Loser. Actually, I like Morbius. I do like Morbius. I just think that, that little aspect of it, like, at no point did they ever say, can we just can we just drop this whole living vampire shtick? I mean, he's a vampire, right? We, we only did the living vampire because of the rules of the time. He's a vampire? Okay, he's a vampire. Well, it's the same thing no, with, like, he... um, the man-beast. Not sorry, the man-beast, the man-wolf. Because didn't he become the man-wolf before they allowed that, too? John Jameson? He's not before really... they allowed werewolves? Yeah, he's not really a werewolf. I kind of like man-wolf, though, as a name, like, as a, as a character name. Oh, it is I mean, cool sounding, but I mean, it's just like, isn't that the same thing, kind of the same thing? They were doing, get to do a werewolf, but they had to make sure it wasn't a werewolf. Actually, linguistically, it's exactly the same thing, because were means man. Well, yeah, linguistically, but I mean, for comic code-wise. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I wasn't aware of that change, but it makes sense to have him be man-wolf, because they wouldn't allow the term werewolf in the comics. I'm off to look that makes I'm going to look that up later to see if I'm right or not, but I have a feeling that, considering when I think he became the man-wolf, that it probably was a little bit before they still were allowing all the horror stuff. And, like, Morbius the Living Vampire was their way around to have a werewolf character. But, go, no, it's not a werewolf. 
It's okay. You can allow it. Ah. But at this point now, now here, we're like, yeah, dead bodies everywhere. Who cares? <laughs> now, a quick question. Mm-hmm. Are you looking at a recolored, uh, like, Marvel Unlimited version of this, or are you looking at the original coloring? I am looking at the uh, recolored one. I don't have the original issue right now. Okay. So I don't know. I, I, I noticed the coloring at the top of page 17. I wasn't sure if it would be preserved. Whenever he's holding the girl so young, too late, dead, the next three panels. Uh-huh. Is he colored differently there for you? Uh, you mean not gold and blonde? Yeah, purple and white. Yep. That was interesting. Yeah. I And considering the fact that he was also the colorist, uh-huh. I would believe this is probably in the if it wasn't in the I, I think if this wasn't in the original comic it's only because there was a there was an issue with the printing no this is yeah i'm looking at the original coloring right here oh, okay good and he yeah it is <laughs> where the three panels where it says this is wrong he turns around in anger it is purple his his face is you know light purple his costume is deep blue mm-hmm. and his hair is slightly bluish white it is very much the coloring that we're going to see later on, and I can't help but think it had to be intentional. Well, yeah, especially since, remember what happens by the end of the story. We're not talking... Now, while Sterling has long-range plans, the secret of the Magus is not a long-range plan. The secret of the Magus comes out in about five, six pages. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, definitely. I just... Um... But, yeah, that has to be intentional. So... so... Circuits open and close. Energy pours, and, and uh, oh, I thought that was like ex- the bad guys teleport away. Yeah, and, and the way that it's drawn, I thought he was exploding them with his ma- uh, with his purple anger. But no, they just leave, and he calms down. Well, I mean, it's colored. At least in my version, it's colored a little more, also blue and purplish. So without the the, the uh, text text bubble there, you could almost think of that. Right, and if it had been different artists and, co- and writers, I would have thought that maybe. There was a disconnect in the communication, but no, it's Starlin doing everything. So they're teleporting, they leave him alone, he calms down and turns orange again, and monologues. He likes to monologue. That does seem to happen to most people who wander around space by themselves. They talk to themselves a lot. Probably because they're bored and lonely. I mean, look at the Silver Surfer. <laughs> well, it's why Batman got a sidekick, and why they really wanted to give Superman a sidekick, and never did, but they never did. That's why they gave... Um... Silver Surfer, what's her name? Dawn. Mm-hmm. Because it's like... Green, Green Lantern got doy Dickles. you got to have somebody to talk to. Exactly. Otherwise, you're in space forever. You get bored. You start chat- talking to yourself. Next thing you know, you're on like 12 pages of soliloquy. <laughs> right. So he's monologuing, and he's, you know, mourning that, that he didn't save her and that she's dead and that all these terrible people are out there. And then he's like, I don't have any choice. I had to force the girl to tell me more. And I'm like... That only seems very gruesome and ominous. Yeah. So then we get more to the soul gem, which, interestingly enough, draws its strength from the sinister, chaotic ends of infinity. Mm. And um, yeah, through the power of the soul gem, he's able to animate the woman who died. Yeah, he basically keeps her uh, keeps her soul from moving on. So he mm-hmm. can get his information from her. But yeah, no, I mean, like you, like I said before, you definitely see the origins of what actually becomes the Infinity Gem starting here. 
I mean, mm-hmm. before they had the soul gem, but the soul gem, like we said before, was basically just, I don't know, we needed to do stuff. Okay, it could do it. Yeah, and after, who was, who brought back Warlock in Marvel Premiere? Was that Marv Wolfman or was that Len Wein or who was that? Uh, Thomas and Gil Kane. Roy Thomas. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Roy Thomas brings back Adam Warlock in Marvel Premiere, and the High Evolutionary gives him that soul gem and says something about how it's going to be such powerful and everything, and then Roy Thomas leaves the book. Yeah. And no one else knows what the soul gem is supposed to do except that it's powerful. And so they just, like, make it do stuff. But Starlin here is going to use it very explicitly in certain ways. Yeah. But if you also remember the way he got that soul gen, I almost wonder if Roy Thomas had an idea. Because he just, the High Evolutionary just kind of gives it to him at the last minute. goes, here, take it. And considering how a lot of the, especially back then, the Marvel books were done, I would almost believe that, you know, Roy was scripted and he caught a call Gil Kane and go, what's this little gem thing? I don't know. I thought it'd be cool to give him something on there. It made him look better. Does it do anything? <laughs> I don't know. You want it to do something? Maybe. Okay. Because it's not like there was a plot point or it's mentioned before. It just pops up all of a sudden. It's almost an afterthought, yeah. And so I have to wonder if that's something that he even knew about. Or he's just like, what the hell is this crap? Starting here, we're actually going to get real use and real info on the Soul Gem. And it's gonna, there's going to be some cool stuff with it. And here it very much lives up to its name because he's using it to reanimate a woman who has just died. I like the phrase, I'll supply the animation, you the motivation. So it's her being that's speaking through it. He's just allowing the meat to continue to respond. And you got those different uh, word bubbles for her that it's obviously not her fully speaking anymore. Right. I can almost imagine like an echo when she speaks. And he asks her to speak of his sad, of her sad life and what was going on. And she says, yes, I'll speak. I'll speak of hell. And turn the page, it's, guess who's coming to Christmas dinner? Mary Marvel, that's who. <laughs> Giant superhero holiday grab bag. Wait, what? So, um, that's an ad. After she says she's going to speak of hell, it's an ad for the Christmas edition Marvel Giant Treasury Edition thing. I just thought it was funny. I thought you said Mary Marvel. I got very confused. I'm like, what does Mary Marvel have to do with this? Well, Mary, like, like Merry Christmas, Mary oh, Marvel. Oh, I went, you know, Captain Marvel. You went to Shazam. Yes. Captain Marvel's sister, Mary Marvel. Right. And I was like, well, what? What, what, what? Like, did they have an inter- like, was there an intercompany, you know, like, ad? Like, you know, when you see ads for, like, something about Spider- you know, Spider-Man toys and Superman or something? Right. Then we get sort of the crux of the new concept that Starlin is doing. Yeah. And this is where things start to get really interesting as far as the Jesus metaphor from earlier issues of Warlock. Because the Universal Church of Truth is a pious faith made of saintly souls. They want to save all the souls of all the peoples. Their basic teachings are admirable. If the universe lived by them, it'd be a place of peace. They're ruled over by a single entity at the head of their church. In this case, she's called the Matriarch. Um, The church under her hand is a powerful force. If you question church doctrine, it's heresy. You could be killed. They're constantly going out and converting people with the idea of convert or die. And you cannot read this without immediately thinking of at least certain historical contexts, the Christian faith and the Christian practice. Yeah, specifically, this is more like it, like we said, this is very much taking it from 
I mean, all of that, but also very much the, the, the way it was done in the Middle Ages. With, yeah, Middle Ages Christianity. Yeah, it's do it or else. We love everybody. And, and it, just mm-hmm. as long as you're, just, but everybody only includes us. And there's a single entity at the head. You know, this is a matriarch that the church has the Pope. Did you notice that they call them matriarch, by the way, here? The church's temporal leader. Or temporal leader. Okay. So I'm guessing you're right about what you said about the temporal punisher, that it's this world. Yeah, this world's leader. Because they um, again and again. Yeah. So this becomes really interesting. And this becomes, okay, that's really cool. What's going to happen next? And I love what happens at the end of this issue with this basis, you know, already established. So the Magus is the deity that they worship. They worship a deity called the Magus, a powerful being that came from the stars nearly 5,000 years ago and set himself up as a god. Okay, that part in and of itself is not very Christian-y. It's more science fiction-y. But the god of the Universal Church of Truth is the Magus. That's important. Yes, and if you look at the stone little stone idol, they have the Magus. Of his, well, actually, the stone idol of his face. It's kind of looks a bit like an Easter Island uh, thing, like you know, it's a, in the fact that it's like a giant head made of stone with the mouth open and fire in it. But you also have fire from a circle on its forehead. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah, very foreshadowy. Oh yeah. And again, he's having fun. I mean, you could tell. I mean, now question: How is it colored? This page where you have the origin of the Church of Truth is. Are these like each panel colored individually, or is there like a red tint to the whole page? Yeah, the entire page is very red, orange, and, and, and a reddish purple. Okay, you got it's all warmly. Uh, I say warmly. I don't know. Um, I don't know how to define these as warm versus cool because there are lots of purples and stuff. But it feels like there's a reddish hue to everything. Yeah, it has like a red red tint to it, a whole thing mm-hmm. through a, like they filmed it through a red lens. Okay, I just want to make sure it was on that one too because I was curious. The the reason that the woman was on the run is because everyone is scared of this church, and there are always ships that go out there and conquer worlds. And if the worlds won't convert, then they are destroyed. So that every single time the Universal Church of Truth comes to a world, they leave behind a world free of non-believers. Yeah, whatever way that has to be done. Right, and that made me think of Spanish history. Mm-hmm. Christopher Columbus, in 1492, got the authority and the money to sail west in search of the Indies. The Indies. Yeah, new trade routes to India instead of going around Africa, because that's dangerous. Right, and the reason he got it in 1492 is because for the years previous to that, Spain was involved in a war where the European-descended portions of the population were reclaiming the peninsula from the Moorish and Arabic populations. That's right. So f- no, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was saying, because that's right, because if you look at the maps from that time period or early before that, you could see that, like, the part that was, um, I don't know what it was called, actually. I don't know. I mean, I know it became, like, the Ottoman Empire years later, but, yeah, whatever Muslim parts were controlled, like, by that, that empire, the north of Africa, also included parts of, like, the bottom half of Spain. Right. So they finally fought their final battle and ousted the final non-Christian, uh, well, the final, you know, 
Muslim peoples from the southern portion of Spain. And so the different branches of political power, Castile and the different ones, I forget, their names are escaping me right now, they unite together to become a nation of Spain. They decide they're going to be a Christian nation and that all other Christian, all other non-Christian peoples will have to leave the country. And so on Christopher Columbus's mission, you have a whole lot of Jewish people mm-hmm. who are fleeing Spain because of this decision. And it just reminds me of that idea of that in a Christian governed world. And again, I'm speaking in the terms of middle ages. I'm not speaking about modern Christians, but the idea at the time was no non-Christians allowed. Yeah. Get out. So yeah, get out. <laughs> And so, yeah, this is what we have here. We have worlds being either converted or destroyed. Yeah. And Warlock says, you paint a grim picture, lass, and he's going to keep talking to her, yeah, but he, then something happens. Yeah, he wants more about the, He wants to know more about the Magus. Like, what is he? What can he do? What does he want? Anything? And But then something happens to her. And basically, her soul is being hijacked. Or her body is being hijacked, I guess. And By the entity of the Magus, yeah. Yeah, the Magus starts talking through her. And at first speaking in riddles, you know, you seek to know the Magus, better you first know yourself. You seek to rescue billions from the Magus power, better you first save yourself. Yeah, which is all really, really great. Especially if you know where this is going. Yeah. It's great scripting. It's riddles, and it's weird, and it's bonkers if you don't know what's going on. But if you do know what's going on, it's like, oh, I see what you're doing there, Jim. It's so, so Because if you just read it for the first time, it could kind of look like the Magus is just speaking out of his ass. Right. You know, you seek to destroy the Magus. Better you were never born. And it's like, oh, typical supervillain, I am so awesome that you, you can't even save yourself. You'd be better off just not existing instead of facing me. Right. And then when you get to the end, it's like, ooh, what a twist. With a twist. With a twist. So we get um, the Wizard of Oz, I mean the Magus's giant head, shouting down at Warlock, I am power absolute, I am the God Supreme. So the Magus is God, he has deity level power in this world, and he's shouting down at Adam Warlock. And Adam Warlock starts fighting all of these demons that he says are strange yet familiar. Yeah, because he kicks Adam Warlock into a Dicko-like dimension. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, that's almost a pet. You put Doctor Strange in there, and it's like, oh, Dicko and, Do- Dicko and uh, Starling got together and worked on something. He's basically going on an acid trip right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's no secret that Starlin took a lot of inspiration for this run of comics from his mind expansion experiences. But he, he goes from fighting demons to falling through Magus's mouth, uh, an ocean full of really weird fish, a shattered mirror reflecting different images of himself and the Magus and a skull. Yeah, like a bizarre funhouse mirror. Right. So he's seeing like three different images, but it's all mirrors. So what's up with... But it's weird because like... There'll be an image of Adam Warlock and an image of the Magus with the same expression. Yeah, and this panel is called The Secret of the Magus. Right. Unfortunately, some secrets contain further mysteries within, so the onlooker must be wary. 
it's almost like they're saying, you know, be careful about you turning to the next page. Yeah, such cosmic puzzles may hold the answers to life and death. And I do like that last panel, especially the way they do that, where it has the death and it's like exploding out, kicking him out of not just that little mirror area, but out of that whole page, out of the page. Mm -hmm. He's kicked out of that panel and he's just in the whiteness. He's in the gutters, basically, of the comic page. Right. And he finally wakes up back on, it looks like he's back in like, I don't know, Mario Land or something. There's little mushrooms and grass and a tree with a face on it. Yeah, and a Vita flytrap. But after a few moments, the grass and tree grow away, and it's all rocks again. So I don't know if he's still in a weird dimension or if he's actually on his asteroid again. But we finally get the revelation that Adam Warlock and the Magus Magus are the same being. One and the same being. The Magus is Latin for wise man, magician, warlock. And as he says, those creatures were my own inner demons. And so this is so great and so bizarre and so, I think, daring and bold on the part of the writer. Because what he's saying is that the god of this universal church is some sort of weird version of Adam Warlock. The Jesus metaphor, that Jesus, you know, our analog for Jesus in this story, becomes the the God of the Catholic faith somehow, some way, and that there's a huge change. And of course, looking at history, of course, there was a huge change between the early Christianity and medieval Christianity. No one can deny that. Yeah. And it became this completely other entity. And he's putting that forth clearly. And metaphorically here, and the first time I read that, I was like, "Oh my God, did you just?" And he did just. Yeah, he took he took the fact that the first the original story is about basically him as like the Jesus analog as the man, and then he went on with what happened with it after the man was gone, and you were left with the movement and the organization. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, yeah, early Christianity was basically very much uh, anti-establishment, right? And by the Middle Ages. It was the establishment. Yes. And I like your thing about him being gone because Adam Warlock was apart from all of this. The Magus has been doing it, but the uh, Magus somehow is Adam Warlock. So exactly how all that works you know, is going to be dealt with as we go along through the issues. At this point, though, the, the metaphor is kind of wrapped up. I, I feel like he used it to lay his foundation a really cool way in this issue. But now he's just going to deal with the world he's created going forward. He doesn't really deal with the Jesus metaphor so much going forward. Would you agree or would you disagree? Um, now, it's been a little while since I read the whole thing, but from what I remember, yeah, he more or less goes into now cosmic trippy sci-fi and self-examination. But yeah, the metaphor is just kind of there in the background now. Right. You know, but he doesn't really have to play with it too much because he's done everything he used to with it. Here it is. It's all here. It's in the background of every issue. But it's, 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 the, focus. The, it's the basis. It's the focus. Right. It's the basis of the concept, but now we're dealing with the concept. Yeah. It's like, um, we got it there. Now we're there. So, yeah. It's really, really neat. And it's 1970s. 
they're dealing with the idea of religion because it's become okay to like wrestle with that through literature and start questioning um, things. I mean, the exorcist has already come out at least novel form. I read that. I'm reading the sequel right now. Uh, which one Legion Legion? Yeah. I, I like that book. I like the. I mean, the movie was okay, but I like the book. I like that book a lot. Is there a movie of Legion? Uh, exorcist three. Oh, Okay, and that's why I was asking which when you said because I wasn't sure if there was another sequel because there's an Exorcist two, which has James Earl Jones, and now I could be wrong because it was like twenty year twenty more years since I've watched it, but God was it boring. <laughs> now, granted, I was younger, so maybe you know I'd seen The Exorcist and then was looking for something else similar, and I didn't really get it. But maybe it was good, maybe not. You know, I don't know. I just remember it being boring as hell. Well, exor- the, the the Legion book. Is extremely light on plot. It is exceedingly introspective and metaphysical, mm-hmm. and I'm enjoying it. But I cannot imagine it being made into a movie. Yep. Uh, George- I mean, I, I've read two thirds of the book, and I've probably read a half hour of plot. Yeah. George C. Scott plays the main character. Interesting. Cart uh, Kurtzman. So I forget his name. The Jewish uh, detective. Yeah. Kurtzman. Anyways. We're gonna move forward. I like how I like how Sphinxor is back, sitting there on the chair for the next issue box. Yeah, <laughs> he's like the blurb guy. He's like, "We'll be back. Bye." And from here, yeah, we got a really trippy cosmic sci-fi tale ahead of us. That's gonna go into space. It's gonna deal with metaphysics in a non-Christian metaphor way. Uh, it's gonna poke fun at the establishment of comics. It's gonna do a lot of stuff, and eventually, it's gonna just kind of end. In the middle, because Starlin gets fired, I think. I don't think I. F- I have to look that up by the time we get there. Because like, doesn't I think it's fired? Because but there is a there is a gap between this and like I think six months later he starts doing comics again. I uh, maybe got fired or maybe got, I, I thought it had just got canceled, but I could be wrong. <laughs> and then he'll come back and do the two annuals that wrap up the story, and that'll be the end. Yes. And there's also an interesting little thing in the one panel here on the last page. It's the fourth panel. How does one defeat himself without destroying himself? Uh, well, quick flash forward to the end of the, to several several episodes later when we get to the end of the story. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know anything about this, you'll see when we get there. Don't worry about it. But <laughs> yeah. Again, a lot of stuff. No, whether that was intent, that whether that was his point or not originally as well, but that's kind of like another little like, ooh, moment here. You know, a little uh, foreshadowing. Hello, podcast listener. My name is Russell Bragg, and I host a podcast called the DC Comics Presents Show. Every episode, I talk about the DC Comics Presents comic starring Superman. I will be detailing all ninety-seven issues plus the four annuals. I will be spotlighting the DC character that Superman teams up with, plus I will be looking at the comic spinner rack to see what other comic books were on sale. So join me, Russell Bragg, for each exciting episode of the DC Comics Presents show. Please go to the show's website at www.dccpshow.com for more information. That's DCCPSHOW. It's feedback time! And our last episode, episode 68, on Twitter was retweeted by Out of the Fridge, Jason Snick Venable, and R.S. Shepard. And it was liked by Out of the Fridge, 
Jason Snick Venable, Jeffrey Carroll, Brian Z, Dan O, and R.S. Shepard. On Facebook, the post for the episode was liked by Joe Sedano. Thanks, Joe! And now I want to continue what I have been doing for a while and thank a few more of our followers on our Tumblr page. And this should be fun, because as usual, Tumblr names are weird. Thank you to... K.O. Razin, Omega-Beam-Survivor, Red Jason Peter-Blog, 80 Times a Triangle, and Living Kayfabe. And how can you be included in this? Well, you can like our and retweet our episodes on Twitter. Follow us on there. At Adam Thanos Pod. Go to our Facebook page. Just search Adam Warlock or Thanos. We're one of the first things to pop up on there. Go follow our Tumblr page. ResurrectionsAdamWarlock.tumblr.com And also, you can send us an email. I don't have any this time to read, but I would love some. ResurrectionsPodcast at Yahoo.com And finally, don't forget my other podcast, The Pop Culture Palace Presents, hosted on the Pop Culture Palace website, ThePopCulturePalace.com The most recent episode there, which is Pop Culture Palace Presents, Episode 5, is titled Thanksgiving Trip 2017, and it was about mine and Kim's trip up back home to Jersey to see our family and go to a wedding on Thanksgiving. Links for all those can be found on the show notes. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. And now it's time for the Friends and Enemies section of the show, which I completely forgot to do with John. And my lovely wife has thankfully volunteered to do this. And by volunteered, I mean I told her, hey, come over here for a second and sit down. I'm just happy to know that you don't just forget to do crap for me. I'm glad to know that you... Oh, yeah. That it's 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 a equal failing amongst everyone. Oh, yeah. I had this all set up and ready to go. I just completely forgot when we were talking to do it. That works for me. Sorry, John. Next time. Maybe. Hopefully. And in case for some reason you are listening to this episode and it's your first one, which is weird because I think this is episode 69. Why didn't you listen to the first 68? But Be- anyway. Because 69 is a good number. It is a good number. Excellent. Mm-hmm. I want to watch Bill and Ted. No, it's Christmas. We're going to watch Gremlins. That makes more sense. So the Friends and Enemies section, um, the issue we talked about came out, cover dated February 1975, still before either one of us was born. Because actually, and this is funny, the issue actually, because the cover dated a few months ahead, the issue actually was came out November 26th, 1974. So it's a Thanksgiving issue. Anyway, this one came out, cover dated February 75. We're going to talk about the other series that Adam or Thanos have appeared in before and see where those issues are up to now. So first of all, we have The Avengers, number 132, Kang War II, by Steve Englehart, Roy Thomas, Sal Buscema, and Joe Staten. The Avengers find themselves in the Labyrinth of Limbo, where they face off against Kang's Legion of the Unliving. Mm. And there we have the cover. Mm. Interesting. I'm trying to figure out whose arms are whose. Where, which ones? Oh, yeah, kind of blends in with Thor. Yeah, for some reason, the way they have them drawn together, kind of, you got to take a minute to figure out whose arms are whose. True. And what the hell is that? Is that like kind of some zebra velvet shirt he's got on? It's velvet. It's lovely. I think it's supposed to be like a bear. The fur I get, it's the green shirt. Either they went haywire with 
the idea that the shirt has folds in it. Oh, yes. Or or it's a zebra stripe. I'm not really. But neon green zebras would be a new one. Now, can you guess who that's supposed to be? Because it's not an actual just comic character. It's somebody you would know You would know even if you never read a comic book or heard of them. Bruce Banner? Nope. I said somebody even if you never read a comic or even heard of anything from comics. Oh. I have no idea. O.J. Simpson? I don't know. <laughs> Frankenstein. Yeah, did not get that. I wonder if that's why they made the shirt green. Cause they yeah, probably that's probably why they made the shirt green. Because they couldn't do the green face because that's copyrighted by Universal. Yeah, but you know they made the shirt green, but the, the pants look like jeans. And yeah. they're not all ripped up. Yeah, no, no, that did not at all even remotely translate. And I'm very amused by the little electrifying announcement on the bottom. One of the Avengers depicted on this cover will perish in this very issue. But which one? Pretty sure none of them. Because we got Thor. He's not dying. Iron Man's not dying. And while she isn't staying long, I know Mantis does not die. Not to mention that grammatically, that was horribly written. It should have been, but whom? By saying, but which one, they could be referring to which person, or looking like the complete morons, and being, okay, somebody's going to die in this very issue, but which one, meaning which issue? <laughs> not that I'm a big like spelling grammar police person, I'm really not. Point. I don't think that if someone misspells a word or misuses a word, it automatically negates everything that they've ever said. That's ridiculous. But in this case, it is on a published book where somebody should be proofing it. So, yes, that should have been, but whom? Yeah, and that kind of thing, exactly what you're saying, does drive John nuts when it's like it's published and printed and they should be proofing it. He would have done the, probably the very same thing. So, it's yeah. like he's still here anyway. Yeah, Twitter... You know, Facebook yeah. people, right, it's fine. But when there should be a proofreader or editor or mm -hmm. something, yes. Yeah. Daredevil, 1964, number 118. Circus spelled sideways is death. Um, no, it's not, but okay, I'll go with it. By Jerry Conway, Don Heck, and Vince Coletta. Okay, Don Heck's got to be a made-up name. No, that's his real name. Sorry for him. The Circus of Crime puts on another show with a new attraction known as Blackwing. Doesn't really tell me a whole lot. Okay. And there we have Daryl being held, looks like, tied up by the Circus of Crime. They don't have any people in the stands. Nobody no. comes to see this. Well, would you go see the Circus of Crime? I mean, doesn't that sound like a dumb thing to do? They're not selling tickets, though? I guess not. Somebody would buy the tickets. There would at least be a couple people in those stands. Well, you think they'd learn. People learn, like, hey, we keep getting robbed by the Circus of Crime. You know what? Maybe we should stop going to the Circus of Crime. Well, then the Circus of Crime goes out of business. I know. They're not making money. They can't build the tent. And I really find it funny that they have, like, a ringmaster in the middle with his fists up. Kind of like my father trying to fix plumbing. That is his name, actually. What? Father Fixing Plumbing? No, Ringmaster. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Do you like his hat? Yes, I especially like his hat. It's very Willy Wonka. He, that's how he hypnotizes people and we give them their money. Oh. Okay. So that's how they keep building the tent? You, you will build the tent. 
Fantastic Four number 155, Battle Royale, by Len Wein, Rich Buckler, and Joe Sinnott. While on a leisurely stroll through Central Park, the FF are attacked by a former ally. And for more on this issue, go listen to Fantastic Cast episode 195. Oh, look, it's my favorite. It's the bee stung brick dude. The thing. Yes, I know. But I'd like to just make fun of the fact that every time I see him drawn, it just, it's slightly different, and he constantly looks like something out of Lord of the Rings, one of those big rock monsters. No, he kind of is. Incredible Hulk, 1968, issue number 184, Shadow on the Land, by Len Wein, Herb Trimp. The Hulk continues to fight soldiers who have bothered him and a scientist doing research is mysteriously murdered. The Hulk wanders away into the desert, distraught over his solitude, when he is attacked by his strangest foe to date, his own shadow. Uh, now I have a song in my head. Me and my the shadow. And uh, where's Peter Pan? He's underneath the little words. You can't see him. Okay. <laughs> I just figured if it's a deathly shadow, it's Peter Pan. He's coming with the sewing needle to fix everything. Okay. He's going to sew the shadow back to Hulk's feet. Yep. That's what you sew, right? To the feet? Mm-hmm. Okay. At least that's how they did it in the cartoon. Well, that's how it goes, right? The living shadow. It, shadows aren't alive. It can't be a living shadow. There's no such thing. Well, that's why it's a living shadow. There's no such thing. It can't exist. To be fair, there's no such thing as Hulk's either, so... Well, no, no, that's not true. Well, I mean, that Hulk. Well, no, not that Hulk, but there are genetically altered people and, you know, pro wrestlers. Hmm. And then there's the Kardashians. Let's not put them and the Hulk in the same category. Why are you mean to the Hulk? What has he done to you? That's true. That's just cruel. I like how perspective-wise, I'm quite amused at the size of the Hulk's hands. Because really... They're giant. Yeah, I mean, we're not talking big hands for the big Hulk. We're talking, you know, basically... They look like they can crush his own head. Yes. His ha- his one hand looks like it's the size of his entire torso. He does look like he can wrap, give himself a hug by himself <laughs> with one hand. And finally, Thor, number 232, Lo, the Raging Battle, by Jerry Conway, John Buscema, and Dick Giordano. Oh, I got that name right this time. I always have problems with that one. Giordano? Is it Giordano or Giordano? Giordano. Okay. I've heard it said before, so I'm pretty sure that's the right way. As Thor holds out hope for Jane Foster's recovery, Sif recruits some help that she takes the matter into her own hands. Meanwhile, Fire Lord goes to a strange gateway and returns with a warning for the Avengers. <laughs> what? I just always get amused with like the whole... Sword of fire thing. Well, it's a staff of fire, actually. That's it. That was the word I was looking for. I couldn't remember. I guess it's not hard to tell which one's Fire Lord on there. No, it's not. Just like you always know where Thor is. They got the big hammer and the wings on his head. Yeah. I'm always amused by the wings. Horns on the helmets, and then we got wings on Thor's helmet. Seriously, what was wrong with just the helmet? Why do people assume that the, that the Swedes, the Vikings... Scandinavians were putting more flourish on their helmets. Well, Loki has horns, see? Are those on his helmet or are those just on his head? No, those are his helmet. Yeah, it just doesn't work. 
You wanted horns. He has horns. Now you're not happy with horns. I know. I never wanted horns. I don't understand why it's always been drawn oh. away. Not just Thor, but like Vikings in general. We all know that's a bit big misconception. I mean, there may have been some Viking somewhere that stuck horns on his helmet to be formidable, but... I like the way they do it in um, History of the World Part 1. Remind me. The Vikings take off their helmets and the horns are still there on their yes. heads. Yes. Because the horns come out of their heads. <laughs> yes. That happens with my people a whole lot. Yeah, you have some horns come up right over there. Mm-hmm. Hey, you married me. Horns and all. Mm-hmm. All right, we're done with that. Thank you. You're welcome. Good night, Gracie. This is going to go for its next, what, nine issues and be done, and then have the two-issue, two-annual wrap-up and be really done. And it's going to sit here as this thing of 70s comics that, that ended and that was over. And people in the 80s are going to look back and say, oh, that was cool. And the writer of New Mutants is going to bring in Warlock and Magus and name them after these characters as an homage. And it's just it's going to be this little thing that everyone looks back upon. And then it's all going to get revived in Silver Surfer and the Infinity War. Yeah, And going to help create the huge intercompany crossover. Right. So the future of it is big. But right now, we have a single chunk of comics run that is going to be basically self-contained and be done. And it's going to be great. Yeah. It's not going to be all expanding or not going to have 80 issues crossing over into it. It's just going to be this one story. And it's a big story because it covers like a lot of galaxy, you know, a whole galaxy of stuff. But it's just going to be in this one little issue. Although it is going to be fun then when it, when it hits those two uh, annuals at the end. Because mm-hmm. you have, like you said, all of a sudden you have this huge this story, this big story out in space and all this stuff, all these plants and worlds, and running smack right into the Avengers. And they're like, what the hell's going on? And then Spider-Man shows up for no reason. But it's, it's fine. We'll get there. Because it's Spider-Man. I never liked Spider-Man. Yep. I think you like Spider-Man. I, I, I am a fan of Spider-Man. Yes, I am. Okay, I thought I heard that somewhere. Now, was it Spider-Man? It's a Marvel 2-in-1 annual. It's not a Spider-Man annual. No, it's Marvel 2-in-1, but it's the thing in Spider-Man. But we do start off like Peter Parker in his bedroom. Like We, we see him wake up or something. And Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does start with him, but it's um, it's the Marvel two in one though. So, but okay, he's one of the two stars. He's one, he's the he's the co star for that issue. He and Thing go off and finish the Avenger fight. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Anything else for this issue? I think we pretty much sucked this one dry. It was a lot of fun. I was so glad to get here. I mean, I love this run, but this particular issue and the way it. The way it links the previous run to the future run and does this huge twist on the metaphor and it just puts it out there on Front Street that, you know what, um, Christianity turned into something really, really terrible for a while there, guys. And uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that for just a second before we go on with our Cosmic Space Adventures. And it's a great way of going completely different from what was done before and yet taking it, not just ignoring it and not just going, yeah, that was stupid, screw that stuff. I mean, like we said, he's basically taking the concept before and then going forward with it, but being able to do it in a completely new area so he doesn't have to stay on Counter-Earth. Mm-hmm. And, like, I would, like, that's a great way of doing that. Like, you know, you're not disrespecting, and anyone who loved Warlock from before, it's not, you know, no point is to go, yeah, stop, that was crap. You're stupid for liking it. We're just going to burn all that away and start over. 
We do still have the old school costume, though. I mean, uh, the Jim Starlin run is known for giving Adam Warlock the whole cape thing that he has in Infinity, gotten in Infinity War, but he doesn't have that yet. I think that's next issue. But yeah, that's real. I just realized that. You're right. He still is wearing his uh, Shazam-inspired costume. I'm going to miss that lightning bolt. So is... Um... Oh, crap. I was going to make a little clever. So is Na- Billy. So is Billy. Billy's going to miss that lightning bolt. Billy Batson. Yes. <laughs> We're just getting confused with these Captain Mar- Shazam characters today, aren't we? Right. All right. Okay. Anything you want to tell people about? Um, I, uh, I am no longer a creator of projects. I am a happy involver in other people's projects. So if you want to see some comics covers and some comics panels, follow me on Twitter, John Reads Comics, no H in John Reads Comics, and, um, that's me. There you go. Follow him on Twitter. He does read a lot of comics on there. And next time we have John back, we will be covering Strange Tales 179 with the Death Ship. Yay! Very cool. All right, John. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. It's like, oh, this witness is not be. It's like, can I? Wait, what's what? Yeah, that didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Never mind. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> okay.